Hello, friend. Welcome to episode 21 of Sally's Performing Arts Lab podcast. It's Halloween. <laughs> and do I have a treat for you? Every day I gotta stop for a minute. Think about how good my life is with you in it. Every day I wanna stop and think about you. I'm your host, Sally Adams, and every Monday evening I talk to people about making original work for the stage. If you're not a Performing Arts Lab subscriber, Find a platform and subscribe to Sally Pal. I'm on a bunch of podcast platforms, including Podbean, where Sally Pal will be a featured show during Thanksgiving week. Leave comments, give me a review, please, or send an email to sally at sallypal.com. Your ideas keep great conversations coming every Monday evening. Don't forget about the freebies. on sallypal.com slash join. It's a glossary of the jobs you might need people to do for your show. It's useful, entertaining, and you can do your pop quizzes right off the pages. I'll keep building on it every month while you build your show. Today's episode features pianist, conductor, teacher, and actor Jeremy Stevens. During the show, Jeremy shares the Rachel's Challenge list, named for Rachel Joy Scott, the first person killed in the Columbine High School shooting in 1999. The list of actions called Rachel's Challenge is based on her personal writings. The program that grew from the list works with schools to reduce harassment, bullying, and violence. Jeremy shares the list later in the episode, but here's a preview. I have this little wooden plaque in my office given to me by Kim Vento over at the Broken Arrow Performing Arts Center. And Mm -hmm. it says, Rachel's Challenge. Number one, look for the best in others. Number two, dream big. Number three, choose positive influences. Number four, speak with kindness. And number five, start your own chain reaction. Be sure to listen until the end of the interview with Jeremy Stevens for concise advice. From the interview! And words of wisdom from George. Let's get started. Jeremy Stevens, thank you so much for being a guest on Sally Pal. I'm excited. Absolutely. I'm excited as well. I want to know about you as a pianist. I think originally I set out on the goal to be a concert pianist. After I started playing when I was younger, I just thought, all right, I really love this. (laughs) (laughs) And I seem to be fairly good at it. I'm just going to keep going and see where it takes me. And so when I got to college, I thought, oh, well, I know clearly what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a concert pianist. So I just kept studying and studying and studying. It's not until, oh, about junior year of college that I realized, you know, my forte really isn't solo piano playing. My forte is collaborative piano. I started realizing that, all right, my responsibility isn't to myself. My responsibility is to the music and the other musicians who need me. What did that look like to you? Were you strictly an accompanist? Were you playing with other musicians? It was a funny thing. I was studying to be a solo pianist. So I was playing Chopin and Liszt and Gershwin and Gottschalk and all these easy and difficult and crazy pianists because I was studying to be a concert pianist and I needed to be able to play all the genres. And in doing so, I realized that there were people, instrumentalists and vocalists, 
who needed a piano player for their lessons or for their juries or for recitals. And I thought, well, I can play all their music basically by sight reading. I read such hard music that playing their music is nothing. That's what I should do. And that was my job. To play with other people. To play with other people. I've, that's, uh, I got paid in cash. I got paid. One family paid me in a traditional wedding garment because they didn't have American currency. And the largest one they could get, this is so funny, because I was, I'm so tall. I'm such yeah. a big guy. The men are not traditionally as tall as I am. Mm-hmm. So in order for them to get a traditional garment big enough for me, they had to get it in the largest size possible, which also meant the roundest. So you can use it as a cover for your bed? <laughs> End up using it as um, when we have dress-up days. Wonderful. I just thought at that moment, music isn't about me. Yeah. I decided that it wasn't about me sitting at the piano and satisfying my need. It was about me sitting at the piano and helping others satisfy theirs. Jeremy, that is you all over. I see that in everything you do, especially now that I can't uh, listen to you play in person. I read your Facebook posts and you are nothing if not the supreme encourager. I think for me, it's not, I don't know. It, I thank you for that. For me, I, I just, I feel like that if I see potential I'm a little forward with it, but I, I'm mm-hmm. the person who's going to say, oh, no, no, don't do that. Just just try it this way. Uh, no, no, no. You need to do it this more. Step out there, and I want you to do it like this. And try to not really tell them that I know better, but more about getting them to accept their own brilliance. Because how to satisfy your own goals really is we need to give that away. You and I are in the same camp in that way because I see these kids who put themselves down or don't feel like they can do a certain thing when it's clear to me they have everything they need. So tell me how that feels. Tell me about the experience of a kid lighting up after, you know, however long. I can speak to dozens of times when a student finally understands that it's not them pleasing me to perform the music the way that it's written, and it's more about them being so comfortable in performing that they now are giving that gift to the audience with Mm. me, it becomes the true meaning of passion. And when someone finally discovers that, that is their motivation for the rest of their life. That is the motivation that starts them on a completely different journey. So my daily journey in my classroom, in myself, I mean, everything that I do is based upon that idea that they have to discover their true definition of passion. And when that happens, be it either on the stage as an actor, be it as a singer, be it as a dancer, whatever it is, I feel like as a pianist, I can guide them and help them because of my love of the piano, they have something that they can relate to. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And when I'm hearing you, it's clear that you have a passion for that, for that connection with kids and with uh, anybody who's practicing their art. You've got the passion of the piano. And then I wanted to know more about whether or not you find yourself sometimes getting a little stuck and having to change it up. Oh, absolutely. There's a constant need to reinvent the definition of passion, the definition Mm -hmm. of of motivation, the definition of recognition, contribution. To some kids, just standing on the stage with their friends in choir Mm -hmm. is their contribution and motivation for for, for three years of their life. And sometimes it's the contribution of being an ensemble member in a theater cast and 
knowing that that is a definitive role for them, and they're perfectly happy with that. Others, it's realizing that they're happy with that, but they want more. That's when they start that redefining process. That's when I start. I mean, you know that me jumping back on stage, I hadn't been on stage. I'd been on the other side of it for years. The instant I stepped back on stage and got to rehearse and got to be, the whole process just totally changed for me. And it wasn't like I was performing with you on stage. It was like we were having our own little jam session and there just happened to be 250 people in the audience. It was a blast too. And I have to, I have to mention that you and I were thrown on stage after knowing each other sort of around the edges of the theater world. You and I ended up on stage in Legally Blonde and, uh, and we were in smallish roles. Um, and you ended up in the role of, of, Kyle, the, wasn't it Kyle, the guy who delivers yeah. the, the UPS man, the hot UPS man? And I loved that you were hilarious. But you played so many other characters because every time somebody wasn't available for a part, Sarah would be like, uh, Jeremy, can you jump in there? And you created something. And then we did that little professor song and dance, which I don't dance. <laughs> I wish I danced, (laughs) but you did great and were very patient with me. And it was just fun. It was just playtime. It was. Really, that's what we, as teachers, that's what we want for all of our students, but no matter what age, we want them to have playtime. For me, having, getting to be on stage and watch my daughter shine, that was such a phenomenal joy. And you seeing students, I'm sure, just, you know, that whole feeling of, oh, this is a generation coming up. And you're not nearly as old as I am, but you, too, are in the stage of watching another generation rise. And that's exciting. It is. It's extremely exciting. I had a few of my former students. I did a, I did a one-man show about my start in the piano world. The name of that piece was? 88 Keys and Me. It really, and I had former students there, and some of them, the greatest part of that wasn't that I was up, I was up there performing, but it, for them to experience and then come down and afterwards and say, I had no idea, <laughs> you know, yeah. and they got to experience part of my upbringing and my childhood and then my, you know, teenage years and then college that very few people really know because I've never told anybody. It was extremely important for me because I wanted someone younger than me to hear my story. And did you feel like in sharing? Sharing that, you gave them a little bit of access, like, oh, okay, he's he's this authority figure in front of me now who can do anything, but maybe once upon a time he was like me. Oh, absolutely. I wanted them to see me in my vulnerable state. I wanted them mm-hmm. to see me when I was intimidated by everyone. I'm not that way now. As right. a matter of fact, I think I'm probably intimidating. <laughs> I've been told that same thing, and it makes me laugh every time. Me too. But, you know, there are, there are people who say that I am intimidating, and I think it's because, A, I'm confident, and B, I'm tall. You're sure of yourself. You know what you are about. Yes. I'm happy with that. Yeah. There's, <laughs> seriously, you're not trying to keep it to yourself. It seems like your goal in life is for everyone to be happy with themselves. Yes. It's such a joy to be around. Well, I appreciate that. I think a lot of that stems from I was a young musician. I was someone who found something they were good at early on in life. And mine was piano, age four, I started playing. And I just attached myself to it and became happy to play the piano. I was the child that my parents would have to come in and get me out of the piano room for practicing because <laughs> it was time for dinner. You need to stop practicing and do your homework. You need to stop practicing and come eat. I wanted to do more. I wanted. I just. I was a sponge and wanted to do more. And I'm just going to veer off on a complete, completely different oh, thing. But do. I think that that's lost on a lot of children today. Mm-hmm. I think the idea of finding a passion, a passion, 
and becoming that much of a receptacle for whatever it is it's giving you, we've divided it into here's your electronic device and here are your core subjects that you have to have and I need you to have them all done by the time you're a 10th grader. And not saying that core subjects aren't required or necessary because they are, but for me, I don't know. I just felt like I had so much more creative freedom as a child. I got to do band and choir all the way through high school junior high and high school. I got to participate in the drama productions. I got to participate in pretty much anything I wanted to do that was free (laughs) 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 because my parents were teachers. With what I'm seeing as a a high school teacher, uh, what I'm seeing is a lot of parents just placating their child Mm -hmm. to finish, not be happy, not be creative, just finish. And that's not really accomplishing the goal of using your your brain. That's not really accomplishing the goal of that final layer of, what is that, of Bloom's taxonomy, you know, that creating idea. We're not not at that point. I don't even know that we're making it to the fourth level of evaluating. You know, we're, we're regurgitating. One of my comments has always been, as an arts teacher, is that you have an opportunity here to teach kids how to be discerning in their learning. Mm -hmm. Because we have a model of the sage on the stage, you know, I'm going to say this and then you'll regurgitate it on the test. And we lose all of the discussion or the the seeking and the discovery. Yep. Yeah, there's there's no encouragement on the journey or the process. And, and rehearsal is a process. Oh, yes. <laughs> there's a whole insistence on doing it right, but mm-hmm. no one's telling them that it's okay to make a mistake to get it right. Oh, and that's one of my big soapboxes is failing with joy, failing with abandon. It is a requirement in my class that... If you feel like you're failing, to raise your hand and proclaim, I think I'm failing. (laughs) Because it's our responsibility as your classmates to help you. Mm -hmm. So I want you to fail. I want you to see that this was a mistake. I'm going to let you fix it. I'm going to let you figure it out. Because if all I do is fix it for you, you learn nothing. But, you know, as a teacher, it took me a long time to get there. And I don't, you know, I don't know how long it took you. And maybe that could take us into a conversation about your journey into education. My first year of teaching, I was at Booker T. Washington, and I wanted to be, you know, liked. And so I did too much and, uh, and learned a valuable lesson. Yep, I did too. I had come from the private sector. I had worked retail for many, many, many years. And then mm-hmm. I taught lessons at SAIDS when they built that new South location, their piano gallery. They built music studios in the back. And I taught, at one point, I taught 86 lessons a week. That's a lot. Yeah. Well, I had to eat while they while they played or sang <laughs> or I had a journal. And I had to write down who was playing what or singing what, what time they were, and how far they had accomplished in whatever method book or whatever recital soloist book, whatever, because I would forget because there were so many. Sure. Oh, my gosh. One of my students had come in and said, hey, there's a choir job at Union that is available. You should apply for it. And I said, oh, I don't have any public school classroom experience in Oklahoma. Like, the only idea of school that I have of training is I substitute taught band in Texas, and I hated it. So <laughs> I thought, this, I, don't, I don't know about this. Well, then I contacted the head of the fine arts department, who happened to be Mr. Ed Tackett, and he did his senior recital with my mom at the University of Arkansas. I called my mom and said, hey, this is what's going on. What do you think? And she just burst into tears and was so excited that her son was finally paying attention to what she was doing and was listening to her because my mom told me, if you graduate with an education degree, you can always perform and you can teach. If 
you graduate with a performance degree, all you can do is perform, and you cannot teach. You'll have to be certified in every state you move to. And I thought, mm-hmm. well, I'm not going to be a teacher. I'm mm-hmm. going to be a performer. Mm-hmm. So my mom was like, I think you should do it. You know, you're going to have to take those tests. And if they're expensive, let me know. Your dad and I will help. I said, no, I don't want you've helped me out of everything. I've made so many mistakes and you've helped me out of it. If this is something that I want to do, I have to decide to do it and I need to make the financial contribution. As, mm-hmm. as an adult, I need to be responsible for this. <laughs> I'm an adult, mommy. Right. So anyway, I contacted the State Board of Education and went through this process and I took all the tests. As a matter of fact, I scheduled tests for before I even had a job. Because I just thought, I'm just going to go ahead and do it because that way, who knows? This may lead me down a path. Mm -hmm. Boy, did it ever. I took the test, passed them, went and interviewed for the job. And there were four candidates and I was the last one. And I walked in and interviewed and I got to my car and I got a phone call. And they said, you're the one. And they said, we would like to offer you the job. Wow. And I said, oh, I gladly accept. You tell me what I need to do. (laughs) We'll do it. And I immediately called my mom, was crying and was so excited. And after I signed all the paperwork and did all the fingerprints and did everything I needed to and walked into the classroom, and I cried again because I was so overwhelmed. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. I am a very tight timeline guy. Like, I have it all down to a, a chronology of what needs to happen when. And in public schools, you have to have that planned months in advance. And I was I started three days before school started. It was a little scary. But I just decided that what I was doing as a lessons teacher wasn't enough to satisfy my need. Mm. And so I... I decided to go into the public school sector, and I think it was probably one of the most wise decisions I have made in my life. And I can't say that about many things because I have made some horrible decisions, but by (laughs) making them, they have led me to the right decision. Well, as you say, you know, the failures are where we learn. Every day is a new opportunity to fail or succeed. In, in this adventure because it's a very different style. How you're teaching and what you're teaching takes up about 65% of your time. Mm-hmm. And the rest of it is logistical. Lesson plans and meetings and yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Lots and lots and lots of logistics. And lots of outside the classroom. Time. I had to come to grips with that because I, I'll be honest, my first year I was very upset that so much of my personal time was being taken by this <laughs> But once I found that I really loved it and I Mm. I really had a connection with the kids and there was this unquenchable thirst for more, I realized, you know what, it's worth it. It's worth it. It informs so much of the other things that you do. Oh, oh my goodness. If I hadn't have gone into education, most everything that I have done since then would not have existed because it was just a natural chain reaction. That's a great way to describe it. I have this little wooden plaque in my office given to me by Kim Vento over at the Broken Arrow Performing Arts Center. And Mm -hmm. it says, Rachel's challenge. Number one, look for the best in others. Number two, dream big. Number three, choose positive influences. Number four, speak with kindness. And number five, start your own chain reaction. That's how I live every day. And that's how I want my kids to live every day. I just happen to be someone who can say, I've started a chain reaction. Yes. (laughs) And it hasn't stopped. It was sitting on her desk. And it was like just laying there. And I said, oh, my gosh, this is my life. Every one of these things is something that I I aspire to every day. And she goes, 
Well, then you take it because it needs to be with you. Oh. I have it sitting right here next to me, and the kids can see it too. You have posted from time to time things about um, some of the invisible disabilities. The people I know who have those invisible disabilities, they play the part of the other so often that I think they have a perspective that they bring to the arts that really enriches the arts experience. I agree. I have struggled with depression for many, many years, and mm -hmm. uh, it was debilitating at some point where I didn't know why I was crying. I didn't know why I was upset. I didn't understand why things were going this way. I didn't understand why people didn't understand what I was talking about. I would get so frustrated. That sent me spiraling, and I felt like that in order for me to survive in public, I had to become a character, and that saved me. My training in college for theater saved me. Wow. If I hadn't have had that experience of knowing improvisation and knowing how to attach myself to a character or a character to myself, because those are two different characteristics, I don't know where I would be. You know, it was difficult for me growing up because I'm a very literal, precise person, which is very mm -hmm. weird for a creative sort. Yeah. I, I couldn't express how I was understanding what people were saying. Sometimes when I, when I speak, even now at 42 years old, I will say something and someone will get offended or hurt. And it's not meant to come across that way. I'm just very to the point and very concise. That inability for me to feel like I was connecting with another human being sent me really back into my own closet. As an artist, was the ability to express yourself? I was in control over the piano. Mm -hmm. I was in control over what emotion I wanted to convey. I was in control over the, the tender moments. I was in control over... I, I didn't have to do it someone else's way or worry about whether or not they didn't understand my way. And knocking out Rachmaninoff on the piano uh, is a very different way to express than yelling at your mother. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and there were moments where that, that, that was my yelling. That was my, mm -hmm. I'm upset, and this is how you're going to hear it and deal with it. And my mother, who was a, a elementary music teacher for 31 years, she read me like a book. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and she knew, mm -hmm. he's just going to go in there, and he's going to play that piano, and it's going to be loud, and I just need to deal with it. And I'll ask him about it at dinner. How lucky for you. Oh, my gosh. I, you know, there was only maybe one moment in my life where I thought, I hate my parents. Only one? <laughs> well, you can say one because it was multiple years, but it was one collective. Because, you know, I was a teenager and I thought my parents were stupid. When I came out of the closet, they didn't understand and I didn't understand. Well, I say they didn't understand. My mother knew very well. She sure. just retreated into her closet, I suppose. She wanted her son to be happy and not strained with a life that she knew was going to be trouble. Yeah. And she didn't know how to express that. So of course, she immediately turned to, we need to have counseling. We need to, we need to pray the gay away. We need to, you know, <laughs> whatever we need. She did all that. And I retreated away from her. And I didn't, I didn't speak to her for almost two years. Yeah. That was the hardest two years of my life. And I, I feel like that, number one, I am a mama's boy. I will please mm -hmm. try everything in my path. Even at 42 years old, I do everything I can to please my mama. She formed me. You know what I mean? She yeah. took me when I was what I called an outcast, mm -hmm. and she taught me that that's, that's what you want. Why in the world would you want to be like everyone else? You want this creativity. You want this individuality. You want all of this. Yes, it's going to be difficult. This is how creatives live. <laughs> You're going to have to understand that someone who has this much artistry and, and creativity and music coursing through their veins, you will, you will not get along with everyone. You will not please everyone. And you have got to continue your journey regardless of whether 
it pleases people. Yeah. You know, I was 16 years old and hearing this from my mother. And in my head, I'm like, what is she talking about? But you know now. I know now. And do you find yourself making similar speeches to your own students? Oh, yes, I do. (laughs) (laughs) I said that today, as a matter of fact, I just opened my mouth and my mother fell out. (laughs) That's all part of growing and learning to fail with aplomb. Yes, that is so key. I just said this today to the kids practicing for Allstate. I want you to fail. I want you Mm to make a mistake in that music because once you see, oh, I made that, I missed that that rest right there. If you're focused on it, you're not going to miss it again because you missed it. We like we want that. That's growth. That's the process of learning. And it's like the moment when you're performing and you screw up big time in front of an audience and you have to say, okay, I didn't die. I approach it from the standpoint of being a, a teacher, middle school or high school teacher, even teaching adults. There was a time where, you know, I was doing six productions a year. I had a, a system and people would, some people did not want to work with me because I forced them out of their comfort zone. But that's what you want. You no want growth has ever made in someone's comfort zone. And the instant that people get pushed out of their comfort zone and they get defensive, the, that's the instant that they start becoming the character. That's so true. How do you get to that emotional place with a choir? It's very difficult in a choir like mine because I don't teach the auditioned choirs. I teach the unauditioned. These are anybody who wants to take choir. You have to be able to match pitch and you have to be able to at least sight read a simple melody because I'll help you sight read harder melodies, but I need you to understand the basics of sight reading. I have to be able to sell the music to the kids. I basically call upon my powers of theater and persuasion to do most of that. You know, right now we're just learning Allstate and Allstate music can be boring if you sing it from day one, which we have. So instead of doing what most teachers do, Mm -hmm. I, I do not run through them straight from beginning to end every time. I'll just pick little sections and I'll find it in the, we have a um, basic recorded track of the piano part. That way I can get out from behind the piano. I'll just find a certain minute, two minute section that I think, you know what, this is where they're messing up. We're going to do this over and over and over again. And I just, we, we work those sections and it can seem a little bit laborious, but the kids seem more apt to make the change and grow from that doing small tidbits over the course of a long period of time Mm -hmm. than just running the whole song every single day. Well, you end up running the same mistakes over and over again. A learned mistake doesn't make all state. Really, the essence of this is we want all of our kids to have an extraordinary experience so that it becomes an experience that they never forget and that it is associated with the choir program. We want them to not only learn music and learn to sight read and have a great time on stage and learn about the the context of their music that they're performing, but we also want them to have an experience they'll never forget. It requires a delicate balance at some point. And, you know, and right now is a great example of that because we've rehearsed our music, these four Allstate pieces, so many times that some of the kids are beginning to go on autopilot. That's where my (laughs) piano skills come into play. We got a superior rating on stage, and that was the first time for them to do that. That's a state choir thing, and that's that's a big deal. That group used to be combined with the auditioned women's choir so that they were 150 women on stage. Well, naturally, with that many voices on stage, they're going to get a superior rating because I mean, that's a lot of sound. And they sing hard literature. They're 6A, for goodness sakes. This year, we went as our own group. And we got a superior rating on stage and an excellent rating in in sight reading. And I'll take it because they have something. They started a legacy. And now that legacy will just continue to build. What was that like for them? Were they just beyond themselves? I have the certificate stating that we have an excellent rating. 
every member of the choir who went on that trip to, to state choir contest signed it. And it is in my office. Like, they thanked me. And I'm like, you don't need to thank me. This is my job. Mm-hmm. You need to thank each other. Jeremy, what kind of advice would you give to someone who's on a path similar to yours? Well, first off, don't hesitate to question. Questioning helps you refine your path. We have a tendency to believe that questioning gives you hesitation or pause. And quite frankly, it should. Don't let that stop your journey. You keep going and you question and you shake things up and you piss people off and you make people happy, but just keep going. A creative journey never fully stops. I had so many thoughts in my head growing up and then in college and out of college where, okay, I've had enough. And then something would happen and I would be like, oh, well, I clearly am not done with this yet. (laughs) I need to continue pushing. I I have a a tattoo on my right forearm that I received, I, I got last December. And it is a treble clef staff with kind of a dandelion object, but the fuzzy part of the dandelion are quarter rests. And where the staff hits the the dandelion, the quarter rests have now jostled loose as if someone had blown that dandelion. And so I have quarter rests rising up my forearm. The staff also goes into wisps of like wind. And what that reminds me is in music, a rest means that the music continues and you just pause. That's gorgeous. First off, it's okay to pause. And number two, let the music take you. Don't you take the music. That is a wonderful place for us to wrap up. I'm so blessed to have been able to talk to you today. Thank you so much. Oh, it was wonderful. Oh, my gosh, Sally. It was wonderful. It's time now for... Concise Advice from the Interview. A short version of tips from my guest musician, Jeremy Stevens. Today, I have five great bits of advice. Number five, keep going even when things get tough. Number four, a creative journey never fully stops. Number three, don't hesitate to refine your path through questioning. Number two, it's okay for the musician to pause because the music continues. And the number one piece of advice from choral conductor Jeremy Stevens, find your passion and pursue it. That's it for concise advice from the interview. Next week, you'll hear my interview with spoken word artist and George Washington University student, David Colo. Check out the blog sallypal.com for articles and podcast episodes and to sign up for a free Creator's Notebook insert. Thank you for sharing, subscribing, reviewing, joining, and especially, thank you for listening. I encourage you to pursue your dream to have your original work on the stage in front of a live audience. It's scary, but not Halloween scary. (laughs) And I'll be here with advice, encouragement, and a growing community of people like us. If you like Sally Pal, a new podcast goes out every Monday evening. Thanks again for listening. I'm Sally, and this is Sally Pal. The P-A-L in Pal stands for Performing Arts Lab. Now, I have one bit of wisdom from George, my husband, the coolest guy on the planet. George, what's your wisdom for today? If you have your health, you have everything. Well said, George. Well said. Excellent advice indeed. Remember. 
All the performances you've seen on stage once lived only in someone's imagination. Now, it's your turn. If you're downloading and listening on your drive to work, or falling asleep to my sage wisdom like my sister does, let me know you're out there. I want to help you create original shows for a live audience. Let's do it together. scary. Whoa, it's Halloween scary. Why can I never say that line? It always comes out sounding ridiculous. I can use all the help I can get. You can walk my dog. Everybody loves Charlie. Be sure to share with your friends that you think might be interested and give me a review. Uh, Even if you don't like it, let me know what I'm doing wrong. No, go for it. (laughs) What all can you do? You can leave comments. You can can make me a snack. Um, I'm vegan. I love you, Sally Adams.